Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Always happy to have whoever you are listening in, because we're always speaking of exciting films. My name is uh, Father Timothy, joined always by Father Alan, who is overseas, and Father Luke, who is getting more serious and responsible by the day at his parish. Um, so we have today a film from the year 1950, The Flowers of St. Francis. We chose this film for, I did for three reasons. A, we just passed the Feast of St. Francis. B, it's on the Vatican film list. C, I've never really seen a Francis movie, though I've known and read much on the saint himself. So I was interested, how do we begin? Let's just say that this is based on an early text, which is called The Flowers of St. Francis. It, I mean, it has a different title in Italian. It was released as Francis, God's Jester, Francesco Giulare di Dio. I mean, it's however you pronounce that. Um, it's, it's a black and white film. I thought it had poignant moments. My personal take on this film, just to give a big, straight value judgment from the start, I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I, I found some things very moving about it. I found some things very boring or disappointing. Um, I thought the scene where he's chasing the leper in the dark and then weeps in the flowers, I was really moved. I found the localism where these Franciscans are wandering around just kind of seeing what happens, seeing how they can be generous and creative today. I think that probably captures something very true about the Franciscans. I was a little disappointed knowing Francis fairly well about his 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 character in the film wasn't entirely charismatic and romantic as I think he may have been in real life. He's sort of stern and gentle and commanding. Um, Francis wasn't only local. I mean, this is a man too, who spent a lot of time at the Vatican in Rome running in high circles, even though Assisi was home base. Um, I'll come back to a few thoughts, but there's also that scene, because they go through all the little stories, the little flowers of the little stories. Remember the one where his brother goes, and who is the neighboring army he gets captured by? And they're, they're, they're sacking another town, you're both shaking your head. That scene where he, like, pacifistically just gets shaken by these guys and tossed around, and they're using him as a jump rope, I think that took almost a half an hour. I was thinking, why is this the centerpiece yeah. of the film? That, that was, was the that was flower. the most most confusing. Why is that flower allowed to grow so much? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it it had some good accents, but I would not say you've got to go and see this film. Now I'm going to say that too. I'm going to rain on the film a little bit to see if you follow my lead because up to this point, the both of you reverend fathers like to on air praise any film that we've watched. But I want to hear your sober take this time. I want to hear a little bit of criticism. Maybe some disappointment, but or maybe you loved it because we're on air now. Well, let, yeah, so let me give you my sober take. In preparation for the feast, I read 
Father Augustine Thompson's recent biography on uh, on Saint Francis, and to describe it superficially, it's it's errs on the side of uh, historicity. It tries to clear out some of the the legendary brush. But the the funny thing is, you know, historical as this this biography is by Thompson, you still get a very energetic, almost frantic, and con- and sometimes conflicted portrait of St. Francis. So, so that was one thing that is a little bit disappointing about this St. Francis. So, so Francis here is, is like the, for the most part, he's this self-possessed, wise, always in control. It's kind of like how you would imagine Jesus to be in any given situation. But actually, we, you know, we watched Pasolini at the beginning of this podcast and, uh, and Jesus there is actually pretty troubling, even though he's also in control in other ways. So I would have liked to see an energetic Francis, someone who's a little bit troubled by things. And I mean, you do see that. But but for example, the way he cries in the film is very stylized and just kind of a gesture where he puts his head in his hands. And so you don't really get the pathos now. But I think it would be very difficult at this time and maybe in this medium to um, to really exhibit Francis's psychology, let's say, at the crucial points of his life. So his conversion, the, the difficulties that the historical Francis had as his his following developed. That's one thing is you don't actually see a, a great following here, whereas toward the middle of his life, I mean, he had hundreds of followers, whereas here it's this small band. So, you know, you, you don't get a sense of, of how Francis felt himself to be losing control and was himself in the dark about what to do next and totally, in a sense, unprepared for all of the adulation and, you know, the people who were attracted to him. So it's a little bit disappointing in that regard. But I will say that it was a nice move on the part of the filmmakers to to just focus on episodes in Francis's life so that you can get a sense at least of the of the phenomenon of Francis, because I think the deeper stuff can be conveyed much more easily by text. And so by reading a book, um, so this would be good for, I think for young people or, or just, you know, popular audiences, but, uh, it would be very difficult to exhibit his conversion, let's say, and also his later difficulties governing the order. I, I also came away pretty unconvinced by the portrayal of Francis and, just through throughout the the film, for, for me, it just lacked a presentation style that was able to really communicate um, either the depth or the vitality of of the figure of Francis, and that you know maybe partly the actor, um, but also also the the direction of the film overall. But as I as I continued watching it, I felt like I was being in, invited by the director to re to reapproach the way that I that I had. W- entered into the film. So entering into it, um, you know, my thought was, okay, this is a portrait of Francis. It's, it's going to be a, a character depiction of this one figure, um, which it is in some respect. But um, Al- Father Allen, you were mentioning the sort of episodic nature of the film and how it um, is just sort of divided into these little little chapters of the whole community of, of the early Franciscans. And, and what it really reminded me of was um, 
you know, like as Dominicans, we have our own sort of chronicles, which we call the lives of the brethren, these old um, historical anecdotes of the early Dominicans. And watching this, it felt sort of like a filmed, a film version of the Franciscan version of the, the their lives of the, of the brethren, where you just have these little episodes um, about the community as a whole. And they're often very humorous. They're often have this, this sort of homemade quality to them. And uh, yeah, just as, the, as this film continued to unfold, um, I began to sort of think, hmm, I guess maybe I'm not, I should stop evaluating this as a character portrait of St. Francis and, and begin to think of it as a homemade Lives of the Brethren film um, for the early Franciscans. I think that's right, Father Luke. You know, and if you look at the, even just the index of the book itself, The Little Flowers of St. Francis, it begins with how Friar Bernard of Quintavale, he's the first companion of Francis. So it begins with companionship. It begins as, here's this group of brothers. I think, for myself, too, this is the limit of filmmaking. I was looking at the index here. You have 53 stories of the little flowers, and we got in the movie, what, seven or something like that. And maybe that's the limits of time and of cinema. But there are just a number of all these different stories. I, to make a quick Dominican-Franciscan comparison, because of our name, the Order of Preachers, as Dominicans, we oftentimes almost, people may just think, oh, you have claim to that, and somebody else has to have Franciscans, maybe just poverty and other spirituality. But there was an emphasis on Francis saying, brothers, go out to preach. I mean, the last scene, he has that... <laughs> That scene where they all spin until they get dizzy in whatever direction they fall over. It's like, you go in that direction and preach. And then it kind of ends. It's funny in a way, I was I was thinking, is that right? Is that? And it's true, if you look at the little flowers, um, the Franciscans were constantly preaching as well. That's not, I think, historically inaccurate. It's just, they were preaching morality. Everywhere they go, they preach penance, conversion to Christ. They're preaching morality versus the Dominican emphasis of preaching the mysteries of Christ, which both have their place, for sure. But I do think what, what at least I salvage from this film is the fact that there was this constant preaching of the Franciscans, there was this brotherhood, this ragtag group of guys day to day, and for many of them, as you're saying, it's not so much a portrait of Francis as it is of the Franciscans. Mm-hmm. And it was local. Many of these guys, they joined this group that was in their own town, of Assisi, and they basically just wandered around from there. That is a takeaway, is that you, you get this sense of localism, which is, which is true about Francis of Assisi. But at the same time, it's, it, as you're saying, it's more probably true about the friars themselves. Francis was a personality and a saint, which I, I, I just think is, he is enormous and fascinating. I think he's one of the biggest personalities in the history of the Western world. And yet... I don't think that exactly comes through in film this time. Mm-hmm. But the Franciscan <clears throat> local community feel, I think that does come through in the film. Especially with the, uh, I love the scenes of the, there's the old man friar, you know, who they, who come, well, who they welcome at the very beginning. Um, and he's a little bit, yeah, he doesn't seem to have quite all of his marbles maybe, but he's, uh, he was such a great way of, of depicting that ragtag um, local flavor of this this early group and uh it made it made me realize just of the uh both the ideal of religious life where you see their desire to 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 rediscover a deep deep 
communal simplicity, where they want to be a community that is living a radically simple life um, that is seeking these ideals of what they say, like they, they mentioned peace and joy, you know, right at the very beginning. And you see that in, in the way that they accept, you know, anyone who wants to come to them and um, strive to live together as a community. But at the same time, in seeing all the, all the quirks of that, that, that old man, it made, made me realize or think about how we all want to have that perfect ideal community of simplicity and peace and joy. But, you know, when you really throw together 12 or 15 or, you know, X number of personalities, you begin to have big questions about, okay, well, how really do you organize community life? And, um, and so, yeah, it, it sort of spoke to me of both the desire of the religious life and also the complications where it can work at the beginning, but, you know, pretty quickly big questions come up as to how we actually navigate community life with each other. Father Gustin Thompson mentions that character in his book, and he, he says, was it Brother John? He mentions how he would imitate Francis even to the point of clearing his throat. At, at the same way that Francis would, and I think maybe even spitting or something like that. And, and so you get that a little bit in the film where he, he's repeating what Francis says all the time. And one of the more surprising moments for me was the pig's foot episode <laughs> yeah. for a number of reasons, but I guess mainly because in the popular mind, Francis is this uh, lover of animals, and he was, but that didn't translate for them to uh, vegetarianism. And I, I guess this is an actual flower. Thompson doesn't mention it, but, you know, the idea of like going and just cutting the foot off a live pig is was pretty gruesome and the squeals of the pig and everything. Yeah. But uh, interestingly, Thompson points this out, that the Franciscans were unique among religious groups at the time for allowing and for regularly eating meat. Oh, my gosh. So Francis, you know, had this extraordinary affinity with animals, and yet he was quite willing to eat meat. And that might have been part of their simplicity. You know, you, you eat what you can get. <clears throat> Beggars can't be choosers. But yeah, he was not against eating meat. And that kind of makes you think, too, that, yeah, there's a different kind of simple. I mean, poverty can be construed in various ways. I think some of the, some of the movie, too, so we're comparing it historically to say, okay, to the Franciscans. I think that's fair, Father Allen. But just another aspect, too, is is how cinema kind of takes things and makes it in its own arc. Like I think of, for instance, the preaching to the birds. If you look in the little flowers, it's that the birds are being noisy in this town while Francis is preaching. So he asks them, can, can you guys please keep it down? And then they do silently. And after he's done preaching to the people, he then says to the birds, all right, now I'm going to preach to you. And, and they listen to the sermon and they open their wings and they bow to him and he after preaching to them as God's creatures, he blesses them with the sign of the cross. They fly off with wonderful song. The movie instead takes that, and Francis is sitting in a tree trying to recite the Our Father, but a bird keeps flying to his shoulder and interrupting him. And he's like, I love you, I praise God, little bird, but let me, let me try and finish this Our Father. And that's sort of something, too, where I always prefer if you're going to include something, to try and keep it as original. I would have loved to have seen a scene like Francis preaching to the birds rather than this strange combination of praying in Our Father in a tree and being interrupted by a single bird. That, to me, seems like more of an attempt by the part of the director to sort of fit in a lot of pieces. We have to fit in the popular things. Make me a channel of your peace. 
praying the Our Father, preaching to the birds, perfect joy. You know, even if you take the the perfect joy thing, which I think is one of the most profound things of Francis' teaching, that he tells Brother Leo at the end of his life, this is perfect joy. If we're traveling home in winter from Rome and they turn us out of the port, the brothers turn us out of the port Siuncula. And if you still, at that time, praise God and suffer this willingly for Jesus Christ, then you have perfect joy. I think that's a profound story, but they but they strangely conflate it into two scenes. It's it's not Francis and Brother Leo being kicked out of the Port Sionco by their own brothers. The first scene, they're in the rain, and it's all the brothers being kicked out by some random stranger in their hut. And then later on, there's this sort of discussion of perfect joy as they're walking in the snow. And so he kind of – I, I don't like – the dissection. I, I would rather have the little flowers just kind of tell the stories as is, even if you're limited. But there's a sort of mishmash, and knowing the stories of Francis, I'm thinking, wait, that's not how it goes. Anyway, I think they're trying to present to people scenes of the life of Francis. But I, I'm always a critic of saying, then then just do it, you know? I mean, let me let me go way out on a limb. Ready? You're not going to like this because I go out on limbs. I was deep. I was deeply upset at part two of movie number seven of Harry Potter, and we're not going to get into the Harry Potter debate. Good, bad, evil. I know. I'm just saying that that whole series ends with the face-off between Harry and Voldemort. It ends in the Great Hall in the dining room with like everybody gathered. But what do they do? The director has them off in some abandoned alleyway with like this private duel, and I'm thinking. It was so good as it was written. Why would you change this? Now, that's, a, that's dramatic, I know. But I'm reading through, after seeing this film, some of the Flowers of St. Francis, and I just, it's like going to see a Shakespeare play. When you go to see Shakespeare and they're dressed up in, like, World War II uniforms or Much Ado About Nothing is set in Havana, Cuba, it's just, I just have this originalist tendency. Can, can we just have a good depiction of the original, please? So I'm upset with art whenever it goes out on limbs. I went out on a limb to illustrate that example. Stay at home when you're depicting something uh-huh. that's already good. Congratulations on finding a way to, to weave Harry Potter into the discussion. Of, that was of my Francis. goal. That's why we're having um. this podcast. Absolutely. Um, just to go into another area of discussion um, is is uh, one thing which this raised for me this this movie this depiction of the Franciscans early Franciscan movement is uh, I found myself oftentimes just thinking these people are insane. If if I were encountering these these friars, um, like the guy who turns them away from his house, wanting to beat them with a stick, you know, I, I can't help but think that I I, I might identify with uh, the people who were, were trying to say, just hey, get get away from me, go bring your your uh, evangelical fervor elsewhere. And there were, and then there were, there were there were moments that that really sort of drive that home. And I mean, Father Allen, you mentioned the the pers- the, uh, the friar cutting off the leg of the pig to feed his brother. Yeah. Um, there were there were moments like that that seemed to just sort of <laughs> sort of confirm that general suspicion that no, I'm not sure if we are looking at a pure gospel life here, moved by the Holy Spirit. It, we might just be looking at some um, some people who have taken certain parts of the gospel, but um, brought them into their own sort of crazy, kooky way of living their life. Well, I think I think that one of the things that the Franciscans do, and just closer to my experience, the missionaries of charity, is, is they blur that line between the nonsensical and the holy, the adventurous. 
But even the rest of that pig scene, so he follows the swine herd and tries to apologize to him. No, he, but he doesn't really, he doesn't exactly apologize. He tries to get him to realize that it was good that he took the foot. Remember, said this one. He's saying, "Isn't it? We did a good deed. This the the pig brother pig gave his foot." Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> the, and the pig was happy about it. Yeah, know? I know. I love that. But <laughs> uh, but here's the funny thing: is that the swine herd basically eventually seeds the point. You know, he goes and gets the rest of the pig, and he gives it to them. Right. So he kind of agrees with him. He says, "Okay, look, I got to do this." I, I re- it's, he seems to realize that this is what's what's proper, but he's not happy about it. You know, so he goes and throws it down, and then he and he goes away. So he doesn't say, you know, I was wrong. I I should have been helping you, and now I want to start a relationship with you, you know, your community, and be on good terms. So even the swineherd is conflicted about it, and, and there's no real resolution. But the thing gets done, namely the the comforting of the sick friar. But then the poor also are, are benefited immensely by the pig. So it just reminds me of how things work sometimes. Or things seem to be going off the rails, but it's kind of like their normal way of acting. So Father Luke had written this in a blog post of years ago. What, wasn't it your first day with Missionaries of Charity where you have all of these poor people who are not Catholics, and they gather them in the hallway, and they're like, now, brother, you lead them all in the rosary. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> do you have any of them ever prayed a rosary? You know, <laughs> just do it. Just try. Irrelevant. It's beautiful. <laughs> right. If you look through, I, I'm sorry to keep going back to this, even if you look through the index, too, there is that interplay, even just from the titles of The Little Flowers, of sort of these silly, nonsensical things that are taken in this great spirit of holiness. Um, I mean, you get some typical things, you know, one of the friars falls into ecstasy at Mass, how St. Francis and St. Clair with the friars and their their discourse, but then there are other things of grapes taken from a vineyard, there are... um, how Francis gives away the little bells that were on the altar. Um, and then there are just kind of, I mean, if you look at these last ones, it's uh, when when Francis bade Father Leo to, to wash a stone. So Francis is just telling him to go wash this rock. Um, but there, there's this whole lesson, and then he says afterwards, why am I washing this rock? He be- but, then, but, then it's, but then he says, well, because that's the rock. Which, when Christ appeared to me when I was on retreat, he sat on that rock. And then it kind of gets yeah. profound. And then you have so there's there's this interplay. Whether it's you know Saint Anthony is preaching to the fishes, there's kind of this. It's almost like story time, but then it's also very serious because it's for Jesus, who's actually appearing to them and actually gives Francis the stigmata, the wounds in his hands. It's. It's kind of an extreme version of unless you turn and become like little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's Francis of Assisi where there's this, there's a silliness at times, but there's also the seriousness. And I don't know. I think it's good that we can't unravel the whole thing. I think it's good that it sort of remains sort of uniquely strange. And that is probably because holiness is strange. This is its own version of it, but. Yeah. And I think that's what, I mean, a minute, a little bit ago, you were, you know, mentioning how long Father Timothy, that, that scene is with the, with the king, the leader of the army and how long that long that scene is. And I think the reason why it's so long and the, why it feels almost like, um, also in its placement in the movie, you know, it's about two thirds of the way through. So it's in this kind of climactic moment in the movie is because it, it kind of epitomizes all of that. There's something about the holiness of Francis, um, and of the gospel, which is all about 
that line in, in Corinthians, you know, which they quote at the very beginning of the movie, which is that, you know, God chooses the weak to shame the strong. Mm-hmm. You know, he chooses the foolish of the world to shame the, the, the wise. And so um, there's that, that moment when you have the, the, the just the simple smiling friar just sort of staring in the face of the the king who is just baffled at the fact that he cannot use any of his usual weapons at his disposal of manipulation or violence or, or power um, to conquer this little holy man. It sort of, yeah, some sums up the whole, the whole mystery um, that, that I think the director is trying to communicate about the gospel and about the Franciscans. The director too, just to mention Roberto Rossellini, he's, He's known as, I just read up on him a bit, of Italian, what they call neo-realist cinema. So he tries to go for realism to give you an impression of things. I was looking at his other movies. He did a whole movie on Rome, Open City. He did a movie on Socrates, interestingly enough, and among other things. Apparently, his ex-son-in-law is Martin Scorsese. These artists and directors are all connected. Scorsese, who just Mm -hmm. did... Well, Scorsese's done many things. Um, I was thinking of what's the Jesuit movie of the missionaries? Oh, silence. silence. Yeah. But it's interesting how he is going for, in most of his films, sort of realism. I guess that's my takeaway if we're kind of wrapping it up because we're at about time. My takeaway is very simple. I, I don't think I'll return and watch this movie. I don't think if you surveyed the other three or four movies on Francis, you're going to exactly get at the saint himself. It's probably best to go to the texts for those things and also to meet present-day Franciscans. I do think you get the sense of a founder through his friars today. But are there good takeaways? You do get to spend a little bit of time with these this ragtag group in Assisi. And it's true, there is a ragtaggedness to the beginnings so I, I i i think that's worth taking away there are other ways i found it boring so there you go as a religious i appreciated the well maybe as a friar the haircut scenes so just recent just yesterday actually <laughs> i cut uh, father vincent fair's hair oh yeah that must have been so <laughs> exciting He's got thick hair, and it's uh, he's very he's very particular about you know to his credit. So it's it's kind of difficult actually for an unskilled barber. Like and and to, to make a anything. comparison, myself and Father Giles living here in Philadelphia, we've been watching since the Feast of Saint Bruno in segments uh, the documentary into Great Silence on the Carthusians at the Grand Chartreuse. Uh. And there's also all of these similar scenes. Even though they're mostly in silence, there's a haircutting scene. There's the brothers gathering, taking a walk, chatting it up. Um, uh, Religious life is more common than it is You're a bit of a barber yourself, Father Timothy. I I, I actually, during quarantine, if we want want to get personal, I've uh, (laughs) taken the next step in not only cutting others' hair, I've, I've... I've had to cut my own hair this quarantine. Well done. Oh, that's well done. It's, it's really desperate. It's stressful. You know, you get that. You get the mirrors all lined up. It's you're thinking. You say a little prayer beforehand. Well, as you told me when we were in student you said my my hair was the easiest hair to cut. In the easiest house, head to cut in the house because normally there's the littlest of it, right? Well, that's yeah, true. It just, <laughs> doesn't it just have a lot. Right but also, normally you have to you have to cut somebody's hair. You have to trim around the ears or the neckline. With Father Allen, that's that's not needed. You just look and you say, "Oh, you don't, no need. You may <laughs> yeah. go." Father Allen, what were you going to say about haircuts? 
Well, that was it. Just that I... Just that I <laughs> oh, you made your point? Seriously? No, yeah, that was the point. But but just uh, that, as, that was kind of the random. authentic part of the film for me. <laughs> okay. Wow, some very deep thoughts here. Yeah. Um, I will also offer a deep thought, which is that um, not only did the whole movie and the filming feel very homespun and ragtag, but uh, gosh, this the music, the musical score was also very homespun and ragtag. And uh, it, was just, it was just very humble. Um, let's just say that. And uh, even I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, in, the, in between each episode, they would just, you know, post the title of the next little flower, you know, and yeah. uh, in, whenever they would do that, they would all every time they cut into this this organ music and it was like you felt like you were hearing this organ from some country church in alabama or something i mean it it was just like the most tacky organ setting and the most tacky <laughs> organ melody and uh so i just found myself laughing at the film score throughout um so yeah a lot a lot of homespunness in the direction of the film and also in the depiction of the franciscans they were singing a lot of the ave regina chelorm which is a simple lenten chant to mary yeah. they were yeah. kind of singing classic catholic chants which is maybe Te just what, at the end. maybe what Ros- rosalini had on hand because they were kind of common chants or maybe he was trying to say what are the i don't know yeah, well, actually, when I mentioned the film score, all I'm talking about is the sort of classical string music in the background. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was just, that led to a second meditation but sure. of mine, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're out of time. Um, well, it was, we're going to go on, we're going to go on a saint streak because it's, it's, uh, we're on a roll, right? Because we've got October's the, such a, such a good and inspiring start. Yeah. So our next one, um, drum roll, please. Father Luke. Um, I guess that's my cue. So, yeah, the next one is the uh, 1928 silent film, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Oh, yes. And um, I think I actually saw this many, many years ago, um, and it was an outdoor showing, and it was accompanied by a carillon live performance um, uh, uh, on this campus. Carillon is is a set of bells hooked up. Yeah, a set of bells on on the top of a tower. And so we were all in this grassy field outside this carillon tower, um, listening to the bells being played, accompanying this silent film. Like so. the little story, Little Flowers of St. Francis, every small flower I hear from the Hoyt's childhood <laughs> just adds up to an amazing Are you writing these down? <laughs> you should be writing these down. You know, I, sh- I should. I but, will uh, say yeah. about this Joan of Arc film, though, that... Well, a friend of mine who went on to film school, and he took a class once on Joan of Arc films. So I'm going to call him up and see if we can't get his expertise in here. Great. Let's get get his take. We need any experts. Phone a friend. Until then, we'll go out to some music we will select. Here we go. Thanks, everybody. See you uh, you. sometime soon. There's no schedule when we put these things out. It's... It's just when we put these things out. All right.